one head cannot contain all wisdom. Welcome you once again to another episode of Drive Back the Night. This week we are going oh, to... Oh, Brian, wait. Don't you remember? Hmm? We, we got the upgrade for the podcast. Oh, did, did you already load that? It's it's done. It, it, yeah, I downloaded it. It's, it's already, oh, okay. it's already I, in there. I didn't... Okay, okay. Uh, actually, I stand corrected. This is Drive Back the Night 2.0. So, New and improved. Yeah, we're going to be uh, faster, uh, Stronger. smarter, and... Uh, Probably a whole lot more annoying. Twice, at least. Mm. So this week, we are looking at the episode Harper 2.0. I wonder who this episode's about. I'm thinking it might be Harper. There might be some Harper in it. A little bit. But before we get to that, Ethan, do you have anything about this show? Some fun facts or something? Absolutely, I do. I wanted to mention the guest stars that we have for Harper 2.0. We had the imposing form of the German-born Ralph Rudolf Muller. Uh, yes, he is from Germany, as if the uh, accent didn't already tip that off. He plays Jaeger, the uh, the bounty hunter, in this episode. Uh, and he's had an interesting career in the early 90s. I believe it was 92, 91. I, 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 I didn't verify the year, but he won Mr. Universe. So he has the background in bodybuilding, hmm. thus the imposing form. But yeah, he went on in his acting career to appear in such films as the much maligned Batman and Robin. But then he also did some good stuff like Gladiator, Universal Soldier, and he also featured in one of the Scorpion King movies as well. He has had a, an active career in, in acting. Uh, a lot of German television and TV movies early on, but as I mentioned, he has uh, appeared quite a bit in feature films since then. And then also, just a quick mention... Uh, Mike Desabray, and he uh, basically has done stunts for everything, <laughs> any major motion film. He has apparently worked stunts for it, uh, hmm. any kind of action film. And he plays the Perseid that appears very briefly yeah. at the outset uh, and then dies very quickly in mm-hmm. this episode, as we'll get into later. So those are our two guest stars. Uh, most of this takes place right on the Maru or the Andromeda mm-hmm. uh, sets. So, yeah, that's it. We'll get right into this episode. Okay. All right, well, let's do it then, Ethan. Um, Harper 2.0, what happened in this episode? Well, here's what happens, Ryan. We begin with Harper and Becca returning to Andromeda from a parts run. Becca is mercilessly teasing Harper about a girl that he met at the Drift that didn't speak a word of common. That's English to the rest of us kludges. And Harper tries to rebuff her by demonstrating his grasp of linguistics and fails. Suddenly, the Maru is hit by something, and immediately the sound of the airlock cycling draws the two back to the back of the ship to see what's come on board. Inside the airlock is a large, gray, inflatable beach ball, and as Harper scans it, he indicates that there's someone inside. Harper cuts it open and reveals a Perseid that's in particularly bad shape. The Perseid is listless and incoherent, but once he spots Harper's neural interface, he uses the last of his energy to grab hold of Harper and pour, spit, 
vomit some kind of energy stream into his neural port. Harper thinks that his brain's on fire. Becca isn't sure what to make of all of this. But one thing's for sure, the Perseid is dead. On board the Andromeda, Harper is being tended to by trance, while Tyr examines the dead Perseid. Tyr is amazed at the amount of wounds and the damage by such a variety of weapons that he's taken. Trance isn't really sure what to make of Harper's condition, even though he appears to be okay. Harper, though, begins listing technical medical techniques in order to scan his condition more closely. This to the amazement of both Trance and Dylan. Dylan starts to question him about his sudden medical knowledge and acumen when they are interrupted by a hailing ship. They are contacted by Marshal Jaeger in service of the motherland, uh, actually the Intergalactic Apprehension and Procurement Service, a bounty hunter, as Becca succinctly puts it. Becca informs him that his quarry is dead, to which Jaeger requests to search the corpse. This Percy had stole something, and the Marshal wants it back. Becca doesn't want to cooperate, but Dylan sees no point in fighting over a dead man. After sealing the corpse, for its freshness, they hand the body over to Jaeger, but not before Dylan notices a curious mark on the dead Perseid's finger. Searching the ship's database, Dylan finds the symbol that belongs to the All Systems University, a symbol used by its senior researchers. So the question is, what did this Perseid have that was worth dying for? Back in his quarters, Harper is having some particularly disturbing nightmares that, among other images, involve goose-stepping soldiers and a land war in Southeast Asia. Odd. Unable to sleep, he begins several highly technical projects, but seems unable to really focus on them. Remember his ineptitude earlier in the Maru when it came to linguistics? Well, that's all changed. Now he's babbling in multiple languages, not nonsensically, but quite fluently. Even Rami has noticed this change and is curious about it. Back in his lair, Jaeger searches the Perseid's corpse, but cannot find what he's looking for. Suddenly, a strange figure appears before him, and Jaeger reports to this red-eyed figure and insists that what he's looking for must still be on the Maru. Back on Andromeda, the crew watches Harper work, and they're worried about him. They confront him in his work bay, and they ask what he's been doing. But Harper isn't very communicative. Even though he is saying a lot, in a lot of languages, he just doesn't seem to be able to focus very well, like he's got ADD or something. That is, until he sees Rev. Then he becomes very focused and very afraid, claiming that Magog cannot be trusted. Becca and Dylan take him back to the med deck. In the med bay, Trance finds Harper's brainwaves are fluctuating wildly. Becca makes the connection that Harper's condition must be associated with whatever the Perseid did to him. Harper surmises that the Perseid must have somehow dumped a large archive into his neural port. Becca suggests that they find some way to remove it, but Harper objects, even if this knowledge is giving him ice cream headaches. Back in his workshop, Harper is continuing to work on his pet project, a recreation of the Bell X-1. Dylan is watching him work on a monitor when he sees Jaeger, who has mysteriously snuck back on board, enter the room and confronts Harper. Dylan calls for Tyr to get down there to help. It seems that Jaeger is about to remove Harper's head from his shoulders when Tyr arrives and he and Jaeger square off. Tyr and the bounty hunter appear fairly evenly matched, that is until Dylan shows up with a force lance and puts an end to the party. Outgunned, Jaeger activates some kind of phase-shifting device and disappears through the floor. 
Back on the bridge, the crew is speculating on what Jaeger may have been searching for when suddenly Andromeda is hit by weapons fire, and it's serious. Jaeger has demonstrated another expensive toy, hitting Andromeda with a point-singularity projector, and the damage, as Harper points out, is extensive. They can't even escape into slipstream. Down below, Harper is attempting to make repairs, and Rev shows up to help. Harper flips out and attacks him. Dylan intervenes, but Harper then begins hollering at what we can only guess is a Yo Mama reference in the Magog's native tongue. Rev becomes infuriated and nearly attacks Harper. Dylan is able to defuse the situation, and Harper is returned to Medbay, but this time he's restrained. They begin looking for a way to extract the data in Harper's head. He helps Trance to set up a device that will isolate and remove the archived data. Once it's set up, they start the transfer, but then quickly learn that there are side effects. So the transfer is stopped. But they did get some of the data, so it's off to have a look at what's in Harper's head. They are shocked at what they find, but still don't have any answers as to why this information might be important. Becca suggests that they look for Magog images based on Harper's reaction to Rev. They find a video archive of the Magog attack on Brandenburg Tor, and Dylan surmises that while this could be Harper's problem, it still doesn't answer the question of what's Jaeger after. Back in medical, Rev talks with Harper and tries to help him to deal with his pain, which seems to help him a bit, but then Jaeger returns and begins firing at the ship again. Harper convinces Rev to release him so that he can help. Andromeda fires missiles, but they pass right through Jaeger's ship, but the slipstream is repaired, and so Dylan is about to order the ship to jump when Harper launches the Maru and signals Jaeger to come after him. Harper jumps to slipstream, but alters the portal to allow Jaeger through, but he blocks the Andromeda, leaving them to try and search for where he has gone. While searching, Trance informs Dylan that she's found something odd in the Brandenburg Tour video. She shows them an image of the same shadowy figure with the red eyes that appeared to Jaeger in his stronghold. Meanwhile, Jaeger has caught and boarded the Maru. He captures Harper and is attempting to extract the stolen data from him when the Andromeda appears. Tyr, Dylan, and Becca board the ship. Becca rescues Harper, and Tyr and Dylan attack Jaeger. Jaeger phases off the ship, though, and makes his escape. Andromeda fires missiles, and this time the ship is destroyed, but not before Jaeger phases again, escaping the ship's destruction. Back on Andromeda, Trance is removing the data archive from Harper's mind, during which he says something in an odd language that nobody understands. Well, everyone except maybe Trance. But she doesn't seem willing to translate, and instead suggests that the data is dangerous and probably needs to be destroyed. Dylan, though, wants a copy of the Brandenburg Tor file, and Harper says that he knows a safe place to store it, but he can't exactly say where. Back in his lair, Jaeger fearfully reports to the shadowy figure and begs for another chance, but instead is absorbed into the figure. Harper tries to continue work on the X-1, but he realizes that all the information that he needed is gone. For our friend Harper, it's back to being Harper 1.0. The End so, Ethan, there's just one thing that I want to say real quick. Rami, Rambalaya, Rum Rum the Rumster. <laughs> um, evidently, somewhere in those archives, there must be some old SNL skits with Rob Schneider in I'm them. I'm thinking you're right. I'm thinking you're right, yeah. 
Yeah, because <laughs> Harper seems to be fully aware of that skit. Yeah. So. Yeah. I didn't even think of that when I was watching it, but as soon as you started saying it, absolutely. Yeah, Rob Schneider. Okay, so uh, the life pod. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, it can open locks. Uh, it, yeah. it certainly appears so. Okay, well, maybe it doesn't open the locks, but how bad are the locks on the Maru? I, it's an open door policy. Apparently so. Uh, you know, we had this with the uh, uh, Mathematics of Tears. The androids were able to just basically walk on board the Maru. Mm-hmm. Uh, the door was shut. Apparently, they didn't realize they were they were they were not locked mm-hmm. because they stayed out for a while. But then they just come pouring in. Well, here we have basically a life pod. Is there some sort of program on there that says we're in proximity to a ship? Open the doors. Because I mean, yeah, I mean, th- I'm, I'm thinking about this. They're sitting up there in the bridge. They bump into something, and all of a sudden. Wait a second. The airlocks are cycling. Mm-hmm. And then they go back there, and it's inside. There had to have been some sort of navigation intelligence on that thing, because, I mean, in the vastness of space, what are the chances of it being on an intercept course with the Maru anyway? True. There had to have been some something guiding it toward some sort of spacefaring vessel. There's like, okay, there's one, beep, 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 and yeah. it just goes, and... I, as far way as opening, be, as far as opening the airlocks, I cannot explain that. Way to be sci-fi logical on me, Ryan. Thank you. You totally stole my thunder. Oh, oh, okay, all right, well, let's come to another spot about the life pod. Then. All right, slime. Well, yeah. Here's my explanation for mm-hmm. that. It was floating in space. Got near an asteroid. There was a space worm. Okay. All right. It probably spent a few days in the space worm, mm-hmm. and then you know, as nature does, it probably came out the back end of it. Sure. And it had there's that's where the slime came from. Okay. So the pod has gone through the digestive tract of a uh, space worm? That's what I'm thinking. Okay. I'm, I'm not exactly sure on the science of slime and how much um, water content is in that, but ha- how does slime, how, how normally should it behave in space? Frozen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. See, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm not an expert. So I thought maybe there was something you knew that I didn't know. And apparently when you cut into uh, an inflatable life pod like that, mm-hmm. the air as it escapes turns into a bag of flour oh, as, it, as it sprays out into the room. Great. I thought that was – that whole sequence. <laughs> okay. It, there's there's things about it. That I know – I I'm not sure what the decision-making was. It I think, I think they were going for uh, production value. So you got like the flower spraying out of it and the slime, and obviously it's got to come on board quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to move this along before the title sequence. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. The whole thing, that whole first two minutes of the show was just like, "Whoa, where's all this stuff coming mm-hmm. from? Let's get some exposition here." Yeah. <laughs> you know, but we don't get it. No, I kind of almost would have liked to have rather seen a nomad or a V'ger come in. You know. Yeah, it, it, just the big slime ball was really weird. Yeah, it was weird. So, and maybe that's what they were going for—just a creepy maybe, factor. Maybe something that no one's ever seen before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, with yeah, or maybe you know they were really into Ghostbusters. And they're like, hey, can how can we make Slimer a spaceship? <laughs> there you go, an inflatable <laughs> beach ball. There you go. Yeah, covered in Slimer. So I think uh, um, something I noticed, Harper. Probably would have uh, survived in the Old West. 
How's that? He's quite the gunslinger. Yeah. Did you see that? He did that little uh, flip thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and Harper's not the one in this crew that's known for his uh, firearm skills. True. Or he's any an skills other than machines. Yeah. And talking fast. Yeah. Yeah. He's good at that. He is good at yeah. that. But I was quite impressed with his little uh, Doc Holliday impression that he had going on yeah. there. Yeah. He had that going for him for this episode. Do we see that again? I think we see that again. But I will, we'll keep an eye on that. He I should think. be more careful. Those those can discharge. <laughs> you yeah. don't want to be in the way. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting how uh, Tyr meets his match uh, with the bounty hunter. This it, We never established is is this bounty hunter, is he, he's not Nietzschean, but uh, he, he's got to have some sort of augmentation. Mm, of some, yeah. Something's going on there because mm-hmm. Tyr's laying into him and the guy's just coming back for more. Yeah. Well, I mean, he he does give him somewhat of a of a good fight. You, you kind of get the sense in the whole thing that if this thing's not cut short by some other means, Tyr's probably going to lose that fight. I yeah. mean, he, he gave him more to handle than uh, what say Harper would have given him. But I think it's interesting that up to this point, everybody that's taken a force lance hit. Right. Uh, what, what was it you used in the last episode? Crumples like a, a cheap tent. A chimpty, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone crumples mm-hmm. whenever they're hit by a force lance. And this guy just kind of staggers back, dusts himself off. You know off. what that reminded me? It was, uh, was uh, Lloyd Christmas in Dumb and Dumber <laughs> when uh, when the, uh, the, the the chef comes out and just and just lays <laughs> into him and he comes back, oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he just kind of wipes his mouth. <laughs> that, I mean, that's what yeah. he did. He just looks down, and he just kind of wipes it, and he's just like, eh. oh. <laughs> Good shot, sir. Yeah. Now watch what I can do. Yeah. You know, something else came up in this episode. It, it seems like they've, uh, they they mentioned something. You remember back in, I think it was D-0, when they were, uh, they were fighting some of the other ships, and uh, they were wearing the goggles, and you said, oh, it looks like they're playing the old X-Wing game. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, well, they've come a long way now. Because now they have the PSP. What they have? Well, they said they have the PSP. Oh, the PSP. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well played, sir. Yeah. But uh, well played. the only problem was, of course, this aired in 2001. We did not have the PSP yet, not as we know it now. So uh, that was not until uh, December of 2004 when the Sony PSP was released. No, they were talking about the point singularity projector. I'm going to declare a no bad joke zone for this show at this point. Oh, okay. Uh, interesting, the dream sequence. Um, it does a good job of being creepy. I, I And I'm just making this as an observation. That, that sequence was genuinely disturbing mm. when you had all the images from World War II and from Vietnam and, and all of those different scenes that they showed. But what I thought was really interesting is we haven't talked a whole lot about uh, Gordon Michael Wolvett as an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've referenced Harper a lot. Mm-hmm. But I really appreciated this whole scene because as creepy as it was, as disturbing as it was, I think the, the payoff for it was Gordon Michael Wolvett's reaction when he wakes up. Because mm-hmm. that was a visceral, genuine scream. Mm-hmm. I'd have screamed like a girl. Are you talking about when he wakes up on the bottom bunk in the fetal position? Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That was that was a little bit gut-wrenching. Yeah. I thought that was that was really well because that's kind of a hard thing to do, mm-hmm. I would think as an actor to 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 come up with something that's that's genuinely f- you're frightened. Mm-hmm. You know, you can scream, ah, 
you know, that sort of thing. But, but his face, mm-hmm. you know, there was facial expression in there too. And mm-hmm. I, I, I got to give the actor props. I mean, I thought he did a great job at, at selling mm-hmm. what he had just been, you know, witnessing in his mm-hmm. mind. I thought it was a really cool sequence. Any of those things are really hard to do. We talked about on uh, the pearls that were his eyes about um, Lisa Ryder, the way that she had to act out of her character, yeah. you know, and just just those things are just are they're they're difficult to do. They're, it's difficult to pull those kind of things off, and so I mean, it was really nice to see him uh, be able to play uh, for a part of this character that we've never seen before. Yeah. Now I will pick on him, okay, because it was his character that went through this this sequence here. Um, after the Andromeda gets holed by the PSP. That you mentioned. Uh, do you remember his description of the hole? Did that catch your Did that catch your attention at all? Um, does this have anything to do with last week's discussion? I don't think so. No, I'm going somewhere else. Okay. 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 Uh, he dis- did. I hear him correctly. Is I guess my question. Does he not say it's a hole the size of Kansas? Yes, he does say that. Yes. And so that's why I was wondering if this has something to do with last week's discussion what about we about week? the size of the Andromeda. Okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because uh, yeah. Okay. If just the hole is the size of Kansas, then, well, uh, if you got ten million cubic yeah. meters, yeah, that's so, a big uh, hole. Just cargo space. So you know that. <laughs> no, that's true. I I missed that point. Okay. I'm sorry about that. Um, but I'm sitting here thinking, all right, in three thousand years, who's going to want to remember Kansas? That's my first question. Uh, I'm hoping a meteor strikes it somewhere in that 3,000 years. Yeah. Because um, I want to forget about Kansas. Well. <laughs> and here I live right next door to it. <laughs> yeah. The uh, Funny thing. My wife and her entire family is from Kansas, so I'm going to not partake in this conversation. Well, I <laughs> I will continue to, to okay. speak as I, I'm actually from Arkansas, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I can't. I honestly, 3,000 years from now, I honestly can't believe anyone would remember Kansas unless you lived in that region of whatever is remaining of that continent of the North American continent. Mm -hmm. You might know the region of Kansas. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine it would exist as a state, not 3000 years from now. Uh, It's overrun by Magog and (laughs) and maybe it's just an expression. Maybe so. Yeah. The size of Kansas. I I just thought Kansas really, we got that reference. Uh, That was interesting. Seemed a little out of place, but that's just, me yeah well we also have compact discs in jewel cases that's true so i mean they're rare (laughs) but we have them touche yeah so here was something that i i thought was interesting you know we've the andromeda kind of seems to be a uh, a triune personality you have the on-screen persona you have the hologram and then of course the in the flesh avatar yeah there's a there's a point where the hologram Rami and the avatar Rami are trying to convince um, Harper to seek the help that he needs. Yeah. Um, and then they cut immediately to command where Dylan is talking with the Andromeda. Um, basically, he says, talk some sense into him. And then the on-screen persona says, I tried. My first thought is... No, you didn't. You were not involved in that conversation. That was the hologram and the avatar. 
Yeah, but th- this comes right back to the conversation that we've been inc- having uh, on an increasing basis <laughs> as we get further into the season, mm-hmm. as, as we get into the show. Uh, what is the nature of Rami's uh, personality and consciousness? I mean, all three are plugged into the ship. Yeah. She yeah. knows what's going on throughout the ship. Maybe not as much as Tyr, but yeah. she knows what's going on everywhere. Uh, so why couldn't she observe and then pass that information along to Dylan on the command deck but that, that, that she's seeing through the eyes of her other two cohorts? Well, that's fine, but she's taking credit for it. She says, I tried. Mm, okay, I see what you're saying there. She wasn't the one that was... And, and, and we know that they're not all just... Oh, we need uh, a visual here. We need a hologram here. Well, my my avatar's over here, so I'll send the android. It, they all seem to be three separate... Uh, I don't know if I want to say individuals, but they're three separate things. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, they can even have conversations with each other. They can have conversations together with someone else. And they interact with each other. Yeah. So they act as if they are separate. Yeah. You know, I, I think you're just my observation of it my, to chime in here. I think you're probably getting hung up on the semantics of what she said. Maybe I don't think she's taking credit directly, but she knows how the conversation's gone. Andromeda mm-hmm. has tried to talk to Harper. It didn't work. She's now relaying that information to Dylan. If she'd have said we tried, I'd have been fine with it, and I wouldn't even be bringing it up. True, but she said I. Right. Yeah, I tried. Yeah. It's like it's like George and the big salad. I, <laughs> I can't argue too much with you on that point. All right. Yeah. Okay. So Harper speaks to trance. Is it is that her native language? It struck oh, a chord. It did. There was instant recognition of what he said. Yeah. Although she tries very. Very hard to conceal that. Mm-hmm. Not too well. Right. But uh, here's my, my question. Well, both times Harper speaks in another language to one of the other crew. I want to know what he says. Yeah. I want to know what he says to Trance. I really want to know what he said to Rev. Yeah. To get Rev fired up. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mentioned it as a Yo Mama reference. Right. It had to be something like that. Well, well obviously he has mixed emotions about his mama. Right. <laughs> he's got He's got mother issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To say the least, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. So, what, what's he saying here? I mean, that's the, I thought that was very curious, mm-hmm. uh, to, especially to see that interaction. And the other end of it was Harper says it, but it's almost like he doesn't know what he's saying either. Mm-hmm. There's a look on his face. It's like this is in here, and and a neuron fires, and he speaks. But it, as soon as he's done, it's like, wait, what? What did I just say? It's almost as if he doesn't even realize what mm-hmm. what he's saying either. And to watch uh, Rev's his reaction, I mean, he just go. He's he is totally trying to play this cool. He's like, you know, Harper, I'm sorry, whatever it is, you know, hey, I'm your friend. It's cool. And he goes from zero to sixty in nothing flat. Yeah. As soon as Harper starts screeching, whatever he said, I mean, that was it. Yeah. It was done. It was over. Yeah. It's like them. Them's Magog fighting words. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, we've seen Rev get worked up, but we've never seen him get worked up toward the crew. Mm-hmm. And with that sequence, and then as we'll get into it more as we talk about the characters and what mm-hmm. we learn about them, yeah. we get, you know, this is a Harper episode, 
but I almost feel like we got as much uh, out of for, from Rev. Mm-hmm. We learned a lot about Rev Mim in this mm-hmm. episode too, which I thought was really cool. Which, like I said, we'll get we can get more into that as we shift over into what we've learned right. from this episode. Right. Well, <clears throat> one thing I want to hit real quick before we get all serious on it. Um, of course, Harper is is speaking all of these different languages. And then he also is talking about a project that he wants to embark on. Are are there in this universe? Are there no universal translators? Apparently not. Because he all of a sudden he strikes upon that idea, doesn't he? Yeah. Apparently, Star Trek doesn't exist no. in entertainment whatsoever. because <laughs> so, this has been around for a while. Yeah, as far as we're concerned. <laughs> I actually think I did hear uh, uh, somebody's working on something. That that is a bit like an electronic universal translator that would interpret different languages. But I mean, that's you know neither here nor there. Uh, that's something that's being worked on today. You're right. I can't believe three thousand years from now, the great Commonwealth didn't you know overcome that mm-hmm. uh, that obstacle right. and come up with something that could do that for them. Yeah, and they're talking about all the different languages, um, several of them being Earth languages. Um, And then there's common. So is common English or is common just some sort of language that's just common to the three galaxies? And on the show, of course, they speak English because, you know, if you watch this show in France, they're speaking French. Right. So their (laughs) common is French. It's French. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that point. It's whatever language you're hearing. They don't actually say English. No. They say common. So... Suddenly, I feel sheepish for making that reference that that's English to you listeners, <laughs> because it may not necessarily have been English. Well, no, that that is English to you. Well, if you're listening to the show and enjoying it, it was English. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So uh, so when, when Jaeger moves in on Harper and Harper is saved at the very last second, um, again, like I did last week, I was watching this one with uh, with earphones. I don't know if someone was just playing with us in the sound department, but I'm pretty sure I heard Harper's neck snap. Really? Yeah. Like when he's putting the the probe in? No, no. When he goes before that. When he goes to um, in the workshop take the information in the workshop. Yeah. In other words, he's he's going to rip his head off. Right. Um, I'm not kidding. When he grabbed a hold of him. I actually cringed a little bit because I heard snap and I'm like, how, how are they going to save him? Cause I'm, <laughs> it's hard. The process has already started. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remember what happened in uh, a rose in the ashes? Oh, okay. <laughs> What's her name? Yeah. I, I, I I'm horrible with names, mm-hmm, but I, yeah. yeah, that character, yeah, she had her neck snapped, but yeah. uh, she was still alive afterward. Maybe yeah. there's something about this universe <laughs> <laughs> that allows you to perhaps come back from that sort of an injury. Yeah, maybe he got better. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just a flesh wound. I guess the way you've got to snap someone's neck is like Tear does it from below the shoulders. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's more spine. Yeah, it's more in the spine region. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I I I listened uh, over the regular speaker, so I didn't get that little mm-hmm. detail that you got. But I did notice that it, he was turning. Mm-hmm. He was in the process of turning it. It wouldn't have taken much more. No. And then that'd have been it. Yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised that. Um, as someone who is very skilled at killing like this man is, 
you don't really have to turn and just keep turning and wait for someone to come in the door and attack you from the other side. It's pretty much just one swift no- motion. Grab their head, snap, dead. True. Uh, but this so, is a television show. Yeah. <laughs> we have to we have to bear that in mind. Uh, that that one point is just killing me. Uh, m- moving away from that now. The you you did mention uh talking about Rev Bim and uh some of his uh struggles, I guess that that he was starting that it, we haven't talked about that yet. Let's go ahead and talk about what we learned about Rev Bim cuz it gets it gets pretty deep and scary. I mean, his, his reaction to Harper um, but then also later, he has a heart to heart with Harper in in a way because he yeah. he helps Harper through uh, a rough time. It, it it kind of almost reminds you of uh, someone helping someone through detox. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. Uh, and yeah, that whole scene where he's kind of imparting some of that wayist, uh, what is it, a mantra, I guess, or mm-hmm, something, mm-hmm. Yeah, to kind of help him to deal with his anxiety or pain or whatever it is that he's dealing with there. But yeah, uh, he starts to go into, he, he's relating to Harper, and he relates to him, well, l- let, me, let me lay a little illustration on you here. <laughs> Imagine being hungry, not just hungry, starving. And you can satiate that hunger... But it requires you to kill the people around you that you love so dearly. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, wow. I mean, this really explains the existence of the Magog. Mm -hmm. They're not mean just for the sake of being mean. There's a point to it. Mm -hmm. And and Rev is is going against that. He's, He's sworn that off. But like with a lot of things that you swear off that you that you don't if you I don't know if I mean, I'm. If a person's dealing with addiction, they can they can leave that addiction, but is it really gone? No, no, no. <laughs> and, and obviously, that's what Rev is dealing with. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's intense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's something that he can't just easily ignore. Right. Uh, you you got to imagine there's good days and bad days. I, I really wouldn't want to mess with them on the bad days. <laughs> no, I I kind of almost have to wonder about the wisdom of 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 sharing this with Harper in the current state that he's in, because you already know that he is terrified of the Magog, terrified of you because you're a Magog. And so you decide I'm going to tell him about how I want to eat him <laughs> and lay eggs. Yes. It is. It is putrefied corpse. You know, yeah. Or what? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Know. Why pick that time? I don't know. <laughs> to relate that to him. But, you know, there again, he's, it is an interesting moment in that the two of them, we don't get to see them by the, just the two of them on the screen very often. No. At least yeah. from what I remember. And so here's a great opportunity to see two of the, I don't want to say side characters. I mean, they are part of the crew. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a lot of this crew is getting equal time on the screen. But now that I'm thinking back, we don't often get a really good interaction between these particular crew members. Mm-hmm. And so not only do we get to see them interacting together, but it's a very poignant, very, very heavy moment. Yeah. And, and I, you know, it's, it's, Brent State is behind a lot of makeup. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot of expression there, but, you know, with the eyes and his voice, He's able to reflect that really well. I thought that was good. Mm-hmm. And, and here again, we come back to, to Gordon Michael Wolvett. 
I got to give the actor props. I mean, he, this is his episode. This is where we learn a lot about Harper and the actor rises to the occasion and he does a really good job in the scenes where it's, it's in tight, it's in close and, and you're supposed to feel the anxiety that he's dealing with. Mm -hmm. And he does a great job at conveying that as an actor. I think it was really good. He also does a pretty good Rev Bim impression. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> you know, yeah. going a little further with Harper, in uh, in Double Helix, uh, he talks about whether he would rather um, live with the Magog or the Nietzscheans. And he said he would rather live with the Magog. Um, now, we see clearly what his true feelings are about the Magog, yet he says he would rather face the Magog uh, than the Nietzscheans, because the Nietzscheans, when you come down to it, they're humans. And humans can be some of the most evil, cruel uh, people. Brutal. Yes, that, that, that there ever were, even beyond uh, what Magog do. I thought it was interesting that these nightmares, um, yeah, there was some Magog stuff in there. In fact, kind of the focus of it was Magog, really, when it comes down to the, the actual story of this episode. But really, all of those visuals that we're seeing, just one right after another, are atrocities committed by humans. Yeah. Just one after another. Yeah. Just war and violence and all these things that are just being presented to him that he can't escape these visuals. Yeah. And then to top it all off, then you've got this this Magog attack. Yeah. So I guess it's 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 kind of interesting that Harper has already um, admitted his fear. It's humans, and then we're then we see in, into his his mind these visions of all of the violence committed by the humans. I, I have a question about that archive, that bit of information that he's got downloaded into him. It all seems to be centered on war. Mm -hmm. it, it is. <sighs> I'm wondering what was the nature of what this librarian was taking away from that university archive. Obviously we have the information about the, the shadowy figure that shows up, right? Which something tells me we're going to have more about that later in the show. So well, you considering we don't have any idea who he is, what he's there for, and then just drops it at that. Yeah. It, it, you know, when, when a show raises a ton of questions, and doesn't answer even a single one of them in the middle of a season. We're going to see it again. You got to expect that you're going to. Yeah. So we'll get to that later. Okay. Table that for a second. All right. So we have this particular bit of information that somehow seems important. Maybe that's what we don't really get an answer. Is that what Jaeger's after? Well, probably because he's being sent by that same shadowy figure to go retrieve it. Right. But what's with the rest of it? You know what my thought is? That whole sequence um, was just a sequence of violence that eventually ended with the uh, the, the the scenes there at at Brandenburg Tor um, with the Magog, and that's when you see this shadowy figure. Mm -hmm. um, Dylan already figures out that this shadowy figure, whoever he is, it looks like he's directing this invasion. Yeah. So you got to wonder if this if this shadowy figure whoever he is uh must be involved in all of these other things as well. And so maybe that's why they've put this archive together is to say all of these terrible, horrible, awful things 
it's the it's at the behest or the direction yeah. of mm-hmm. is that oh wow yeah okay maybe and I I don't know that okay no that's that's yeah. wow that that suddenly ties all of that those scenes of violence and it makes perfect sense I don't know why I didn't even think of that but you're right yeah that if that's the case it would be that would be the reason why all of that would be in that particular archive and another reason why uh, he would want to have that that record um just like don't want to be yeah Yeah. don't want to be tied to it don't Mm want to be found out (laughs) right yeah no that's a that's a great great thought see i I knew why i had you watching this and going through this (laughs) with me yeah it's fantastic um one other thing maybe i should have put it in the last segment the uh, funny observations but uh I just wanted to say about Jaeger as a character, mm-hmm. so happy to see that the stigma of the evil Hun mm-hmm. or the German is long past 3,000 years in the future. Oh, wait, no, oh, yeah, he was uh, oh, yeah. he was pretty evil. That's right. Huh. And German. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I understand why they would have picked this actor, but uh, with him having such a heavy German accent... And then couple that, and I don't think it was done on purpose, but a lot of the atrocities and whatnot that you see are <laughs> perpetrated by, by Nazis and, 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 you know, the in World War II. And, and my thought was, if you have an actor that's German and, and you're showing these images, you're kind of, whether you intend to or not, you're making a connection there. Mm-hmm. And, and considering, and I read a lot of World War I history. And and the way that Germans were portrayed in World War One is awful, mm-hmm. and yet we kind of maybe it's on purpose, maybe it's not. If it's on purpose, well, you know, shame on the the producers of the show for for allowing that to happen. But if it's if it's by accident, um, yeah, maybe not get somebody with such a heavy German accent to go along with that. So that you're not giving the wrong impression. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just overly sensitive to it, and I, I'm 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 perfectly willing to accept that that may be the case because of you know what I've read of history and things like that. Maybe I'm just more sensitive to it. But it just seemed like uh, a bit overt. <laughs> the 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 German mm-hmm. reference in, in evil and these atrocities taking place and being sent <laughs> mm-hmm. because what was it what was said in a lot of the german uh trials that took place about the concentration camps well i was just following orders mm-hmm. well here's this bounty hunter he's got to remove the head of he's obviously done some evil things to this perseid and chasing him down and whatnot and what would you say to him what would he say about what he's doing well it was just following shadowy figures orders yeah uh Maybe not the best message to put across. Just my thought on it. Yeah, I hadn't put that connection together. Okay, well, there you go. Maybe I'm just being overly sensitive to it. Uh, The end of the show, Mm -hmm. uh, we referenced Harper speaking in tongues, basically, to to trance. And and nobody in the room really knows what's been said Mm -hmm. or will admit to what's been said. But then... uh, Tell me a little bit about the, or, or can you tell me, because you've watched the show, mm-hmm. can you say anything about the significance of, Harper says, I know a place to store it, 
but he won't say where. Mm-hmm. Can't say where. But then he's like staring at, and it shows Trance's tattoo mm-hmm. on her back, and it looks like a, a sun or something uh, to that effect. What I thought was interesting is it's a sun tattoo. Then it shows an image of a sun, and then Jaeger in his stronghold, wherever that may be, and we haven't even talked about how he teleports to these different mm. places. And okay, let's yeah. Uh, but he's <laughs> staring at that same star image on his monitor, and then turns around and says, "Give me another chance." Do we do we get answers to this? Maybe that's all I need to know. Yeah. Well, I'll just say I'd rather not talk about that right now. So you're not going to interpret just like Trance doesn't interpret the what whatever Harper says. Huh? I'm just going to look at you like I know what you just said, but I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that answers my question. It's significant. We just don't know why yet. Is that is that what we're getting down to? You know, the funny thing about this show is sometimes certain things and. You're right. I have watched this show all the way through. So there are times when I have a little bit of a struggle of pointing out things that should have been significant, but then turn out not to be. And then sometimes things that are really not significant, but maybe end up being. Uh, because you, you, as we both know, Robert Hewitt Wolf started this show. He developed the show and the story arc for the show, but he did not get to finish Right. So a lot of his ideas kind of get left by the wayside. Um, and see, I'm struggling right now. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I can tell you, this is an incredibly important episode. So I can tell you that much. Okay. This things that happen in this episode are extremely important. Okay. Throughout. The entire five seasons. Some things are not important at all. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, cool. And unfortunately, that's that's all that I can share with you now. But here is something that I can share with you. One head cannot contain all wisdom. That is the Olduvai Cycle Systems University Archives, Commonwealth Year 8550. Well, it sounds important. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we get a uh, a little bit of a reference in this episode to the, uh, the Systems University. Um, and we have a quote from uh, something from the from the Systems University from their archives. I just realized what T-shirt I want made. Systems U, <laughs> just S U. <laughs> just, just there you go. No, I think it's a great saying, and and it's just you know it. You can't really pick too much. There, there's not too much really to glean from this beyond what you have in the episode. Mm-hmm. It's obvious. Harper's head cannot contain all. Is this really not? Is this really wisdom? Okay. See, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, where I was going to go with it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's knowledge. Right. He even says it. I have all of this knowledge. He also says he has all of this creativity. Mm-hmm. I kind of took exception to that because the things that he's doing. Mm-hmm. It's all specs. It's all tech, you know, technical stuff. There is some creativity there. He he indicates that he's putting things together and he's inventing things. Uh-huh. Yeah. But how wise is he? He can't focus. It's it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the saying, 
that it cannot contain all wisdom. It's yeah, that's a very it's a very poignant, very valid saying. And that's even one of the conversations between Harper and Rev Bim is you have all of this knowledge, but you don't have the understanding. Um, there's a there's an illustration that I know. Uh, I know that you've heard this too before. Um, there's another part to this that they leave out, um, and there's there's knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Uh, the the illustration goes: you can be standing on train tracks. You see a train coming. You have the knowledge that a train is headed towards you standing on these train tracks. Then comes understanding. Understanding that if you don't get off the train tracks, this train is going to hit you and most likely kill you. Not most likely. You're right. Now you we're get, splitting you, hairs, but you, go ahead. You get hit by a train, you're dead. That's, that's the understanding. The wisdom comes from being able to take that knowledge and the understanding and put it into practical action. Get off the train tracks. Yeah. That is the course of wisdom. Yeah. Um, in this episode, they kind of skip right over the understanding. I think we just we just kind of assume that yeah. Harper is able to deduce the understanding from the knowledge that he has. Right. Or does he? Well, that's the thing. He struggles with that the entire episode. Yeah. He, he can't focus. He acts like somebody with ADD. He has a problem uh, making the right assumptions because he sees Rev and he automatically assumes Rev cannot be trusted. Mm -hmm. He's not employing, he's not utilizing the knowledge that he already has about Rev. Mm -hmm. He, he just, it's, it's all in there. It's jumbled. He can't control it. It, it tortures him. Yeah. He, he's just not designed to process all of this. And we, all of everything that he does, he, he gets snippets of it, right? But the overall picture is is beyond his grasp, and he can't deal with it. Yeah, and maybe it's uh, also a matter of just too much, too fast. True. Later on in the episode, he's able to calm down around Rev Bim, and then Rev Bim, even against Captain's orders, lets him out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is a whole other topic in itself. But he does eventually come around. Um, He's still being tortured in his head. He's able to deal with it a little better, and he's able to figure out a way to, in the end, pretty much save the day. But it's still, he he wants it gone. Yeah. It's too much for him. He can't handle it. Maybe if he was able to acquire this knowledge over three, four thousand years. (laughs) Yeah. But nobody lives that long. No, right. So I I guess you're talking about in a normal um, human lifespan, then... Yeah, no head can contain all the wisdom. True. So, Ethan, I think there's there's more that we could um, glean from this show, and but but I think it's probably a good time to go ahead and wrap it up. So let, let me. What are your thoughts, just overall, on this episode? I think it's a good episode, um, barring the first two minutes of it. Like I mentioned before, <laughs> I think I think they I think they overreached. Mm-hmm. Whatever they were going for, a creepiness factor, uh, production value, whatever they were going for, I, I think they missed the mark in the whole thing coming on board. No expo- exposition as to how it comes on board. Mm-hmm. They were just kind of moving things along to move the story along so that we could get to the meat of it. You take that out of it, and I think this is a very good episode. 
like I've said, the the actors, Gordon Michael Wolvett, uh, Brent State, they really get a chance to explore the space. And uh, it, it's it's great. It's great to see them in this in these roles and and be able to to be their characters and to to be a little more nuanced, not just side characters, mm-hmm. side stories, but to actually be kind of front and center here. And, and we get that with both Rev and with Harper. And I thought it was great. If you didn't like Harper before, yeah, he's doing things. It was another observation about it. He's, he's talking rapidly. He's talking in different languages, which give the actor credit again. He's mm-hmm. switching between languages. Right. And, and speaking lines, and that's got to be a very difficult thing to do. And a lot of them aren't even real languages from Earth. Right. He was speaking Vedran and right. yeah, Perseid. I mean, he's singing, what was the song? Uh, She'll be coming <laughs> She'll around, be the, coming mountain. around the mountain. <laughs> Which we didn't get into the whole discussion of Dylan doesn't recognize... She'll be coming around the mountain. Well, okay. Tyr doesn't know what a garage is. Yeah. So I guess it kind of makes sense <laughs> that some things are left behind and forgotten. But in any case... Yeah, Gordon Michael Wolvett is able to to do this role very well, and, and and for that reason, because he does so well, and because Brent State does a great job in a supporting role as Rev, and and with everything else, I thought it was a very well done episode, and I enjoyed watching it. Uh, maybe more on the second and third time watching it than than the first time I watched it a while back. Mm-hmm. I think I had a greater appreciation for it now. And I think it's one, it is, well, like you said, there are things or repercussions here that are going to have an impact later on mm-hmm. throughout the, the next five seasons or four mm-hmm. seasons. And yeah, you have to watch this episode. Yeah. You know, to this point, the whole story arc has been restoring the system's Commonwealth and, the, the the struggle that this crew has had to come together. And you just got done saying this is such an important episode going forward because everything changes from here on out. Uh, the story arc that we have had has really been a setup to what the real story arc is going to be from here on out. Whether it was what Robert Wolf had originally envisioned or what ended up happening, either way, these things change starting with this episode. So you're saying this episode is a turning point. It really is. Yeah. And so for for that point alone, you've got to say that you like this episode. You've got to say that this is an important episode. Um, And even just beyond that, just taking it as an episode itself... There were a lot of things that I really liked about it. Um, we did learn that the Maru is extremely easy to break onto. Pushing that aside, and the whole weird thing with the with the slime ball, I think you have a, a much bigger issue with all of that than I did. But there are so many other things in this that are that are so strong. Uh, I love Harper in this. Like you said, Gordon Michael Wolvett, He's he's always been kind of a secondary role. Or not there at all. Or like last week, right, not there at all. And, you know, it's good to see somebody when they are able to have a bigger role. Last week we saw it with Tyr. Of course, Tyr's never been a secondary character. He's always – he's they're pretty much the main three, Dylan, Becca, and Tyr, it seems like, to this point. And then the, the storyline itself, um, there's so much that it has to offer. This is really one of the – to me, this is one of the strong episodes. Um, it, 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 
Backing off of it, you might think Harper 2.0 is the Harper episode where Harper talks fast and where Harper is extremely annoying when it, where he does his Rob Schneider impression. <laughs> but But there's really so much more to it when you really get into it and look at it. Uh, it's a very rich episode. Yeah. And and again, I'm going to go back to what I've said about several of these episodes, is that my first time watching this series, when it originally aired, this was in 2001, this is one of the episodes that I specifically remember. And so that's kind of one of those things, if you can remember something from almost 15 years ago, then it had to have either been really good or really bad. <laughs> and we already decided this show was not really bad. Right. So I'm going to have to put it in the the really good category. Yeah. Yeah, when I went back and watched it, the the first time was quite a while back. And my vague impression was, oh, yeah, the Harper episode, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, my first watch through, I didn't get to finish it in prep for this show. And I think I talked to you immediately after watching the first few minutes of it, and I was just like, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to have some digs on this one. Mm-hmm. But then I've actually watched it two times since then okay, and enjoyed it mm-hmm. because I knew what was coming. I knew how it ended, and, and there was, like you said, there's some nuances. There's some meat to, the, to this episode. And I don't realize or I don't understand fully what's coming, mm-hmm. you know, from the little bit that I've seen. But it, like you said, it, this show, this episode is a turning point. And looking back on it, yeah, it had that feeling all the way through. And on top of it, it was good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I put it up there as probably one of the top three, I would wow. say, in, in, in my first season so far from from what we've gone back and reviewed so okay. far. Okay. Um, well, you know what? Enough about what we think. You know what we really want to know? We want to know what you guys out there think. Ethan, if somebody wanted to get a hold of us and let us know what their thoughts are on this episode or any other episode that we have covered or will cover, how could they get a hold of us? Uh, they can do that by email at drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. And we're also on the social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook using the handle Andromeda Pod at both of those places. We are... On Podbean, we're www.andromedaseries.podbean.com. And you can listen to us on iTunes. Uh, Be sure and subscribe on there. And if that is where you hear us on the iTunes store, be sure and give us a review or at least some stars. We certainly appreciate that. And thanks again to our good friend, Timothy Kimmerly, who gives us his voice at the beginning of each episode for our opening quote. We are an Age of Geek production. They are www.ageofgeek.com. And we invite you to come back and join us again next week, and we are going to examine the Andromeda episode, Forced Perspective. Perspective.